Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. What do you live for? We all have those things that capture our attention, those things that we strive for and think about. Pastor Greg Laurie addresses that today on A New Beginning. Some people might say, well, I just live to live, you know, just living for the moment. Another person might say, well, for me, to live is possessions. Some people are simply enduring rather than enjoying their lives. What a waste. For me to live is Christ. This is the day when the lost are found. This is the day for a new beginning. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Again, you hear all the angels are singing. This is the day, the day when life begins. There are certain smartphone apps that guide you to your destination. Some even concentrate on helping you to avoid traffic, radars or detours along the way. But on our spiritual journey, the Bible does both too. It helps us to chart a path for life and avoid those things that take us off course. On A New Beginning, Pastor Greg Laurie shows us how to choose a pathway that helps us keep eternity in view. Today's insight is from the series Quarantine Life. Timely insight indeed. The title of my message is, What Do You Live For? And as we've all been staying at home a lot, life has really changed for us. This is probably a really good time to be an introvert though, right? Introverts are digging this whole time, I think, at home because all events are canceled and you don't even have to go through the trouble of flaking anymore and there's no more awkward hugs or physical contact. Yet, on the other hand, for you huggers out there, and I'll meet people who will say, I'm a hugger, come on. For you huggers out there, this is hard because you have to maintain social distancing. And now we have a new way of communicating. We're all using Zoom. I have to admit, I hadn't really used Zoom all that much before uh, we were sheltering at home, but now we're all in those Zoom meetings. And here's your basic Zoom meeting. Here's how it goes. Number one, we all sit around and wait for the host to start the virtual meeting. And then the group all discovers virtual backgrounds and we waste 10 minutes playing around with those. Then uh, there's always one person who can't figure out either the audio or the video feature and they're talking and you can't hear them or their screen is just blank with their name on the screen. And also it's a good way in a Zoom call to find out who's really paying attention because you can click on their box and kind of do a close-up. Only you see them over on the side doing something, you know they're disengaged. And finally, that awkward moment when the meeting is over and you can't figure out how to leave Zoom. So maybe you're in the meeting for another day or so. I don't know. So here's the question. Is it possible to be happy though stuck at home? And I think the answer is yes if your happiness comes from the right place. Happiness does not come from what we have or where we are. Happiness comes from who we know. The Bible says, happy are the people whose God is the Lord. I love this statement by C.S. Lewis, and I'll quote it. He says, God designed the human machine to run on himself. He himself is the fuel our spirits were designed to burn or the food our spirits were designed to feed on. There is no other. That is why it is no good asking God to make us happy in our own way, writes Lewis. And then he concludes, God cannot give us a happiness and peace apart from himself, end quote. 
So when you have a relationship with God, you can find real happiness. And I believe that Christians are the happiest people. Illustration. The Apostle Paul wrote a letter to the believers living in Philippi. We call it the book of Philippians. But here's an interesting detail. He was under house arrest because Paul had appealed to Caesar and he was a Roman citizen. So while he was awaiting his trial before the emperor, he was under what they called house arrest, or as we might put it, he was living the quarantine life. He could not go out and do what he wanted to do. Yet, despite this, Paul was happy because of his relationship with God. Listen, the Christian life is a happy faith because it's a hopeful faith. We have hope in this life and our relationship with the Lord and we have hope for the afterlife. And as I mentioned in my last message, and this comes as a surprise to some, God wants you to be happy. I pointed out last time that God is a happy God and Jesus was happy for most of the time except when he was going to bear the sins of the world on the cross. And the Bible tells us that we should be happy. You know, when the news was announced that Christ was to be born, the message went out, we bring you good news of great happiness. And Jesus said, be happy that your names are written in heaven. Now, don't misunderstand me. That doesn't mean that if you're a Christian, you walk around with a fake smile plastered on your face. Christians have moments of sadness Christians even grapple with depression and all the other difficulties that everyone else deals with. And we are gonna have hard times and we are gonna have setbacks even if we're a child of God. Being a Christian does not mean you will not face uh, a tragedy or a hardship, but what it means is in the midst of your difficulties, you can have this happiness. And it comes down to one word that is used often in the book of Philippians. It is the word mind mind. In other words, if you want to be a happy person, you need to think properly. There are 16 references to the mind in the book of Philippians pointing out that the secret of Christian happiness is found in the way that a believer thinks. Let me repeat that. The secret of Christian happiness is found in the way a believer thinks. Not in the way he or she feels, in the way that they think. Paul had filled his heart in his mind with Jesus Christ. And why is this important? Because pretty much the way we think will affect how we live. The Bible says as a man thinks, so is he. Look, I will walk in the direction I'm looking. If I'm looking forward, I'll walk this way. That's why it's hard to look over your shoulder and walk, right? So I'm gonna walk in the way I'm looking. When I'm looking to the Lord, I'm gonna walk in that direction. And I would add to that, what we think is what we will do. Every action starts with a thought. It's been said, so a thought, reap an act. So an act, reap a habit. So a habit, reap a character. So a character, reap a destiny. So let's come back to that big question. What do you live for? What would you say is the master passion of your life right now? I mean, what gets you fired up? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Apart from bacon and eggs, that's a good motivator for me. I heard about an alarm clock called Waken Bacon. Uh, this is real, I'm not making it up, that actually you would put uh, uncooked bacon on it and at a certain moment it would start cooking up the bacon then the alarm would go off. I like that, I don't have one of those though. But what wakes you up in the morning? What do you live for? 
Some people might say, well, I just, I just live to live, you know? Take it a day at a time. Life to them is mere existence. You could almost describe it as an animal-like condition. They have no philosophy to speak of. They have no objective that they live for. They just sort of live for the moment. Maybe they live by the adage, if it feels good, do it. Or they just say, eat, drink, and be merry. But that's a bad philosophy, folks. Jesus told the story of a man who was very successful financially. He had so much stuff, he didn't have enough room to contain it, so he was building buildings to house the stuff. And he actually said to himself, eat, drink, and be merry. And Jesus said, you fool, tomorrow you'll die and your soul will be required of you. But some people live this way, just living for the moment. Some have taken this time when we've been quarantined and used it well to get closer to their family, uh, to maybe learn a new discipline, hopefully to study the Word of God and grow in your faith. Others are just kicking back. One celebrity came out and said, I'm using my time where I'm quarantined to smoke weed and make pottery. Wow, what a waste. But anyway, this person just lives for whatever. That's how some people live. Another person might say, well, for me, to live is possessions. They have a bumper sticker on the back of their Ferrari. He who dies with the most toys wins. <laughs> I might add dot, 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 nothing. He who dies with the most toys wins nothing. What does it profit a man, Jesus asked, if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? One of the wealthiest men who ever lived was Solomon. And he wrote these words years ago, but they still ring true today. He said, I tried to find meaning in my life by building huge homes for myself and planting beautiful vineyards and gardens and parks. And I collected great sums of silver and gold. And I had singers, uh, men and women. I had beautiful concubines. Uh, kids, you can ask your parents what that means later. And I had everything a man could desire. Everything I wanted, I took. Now listen to this. He says, and as I looked at everything, I'd worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so meaningless. It was like chasing the wind. There was nothing worthwhile anywhere. What a waste. What are you passionate about? That's what you're going to live for. Some people are simply enduring rather than enjoying their lives. Their favorite day of the week is someday. Someday it will get better. Someday my prince will come. Someday I'll find that perfect relationship. I read a poll that revealed 94% of the people who were interviewed were simply enduring the present while waiting for something better to happen. And here's the problem. You can spend your whole life just waiting. And then death comes. And then the afterlife comes and you've effectively thrown your life away. So listen to this. Only the person who is prepared to die is really prepared to live. There's a poignant thought from Pastor Greg Laurie, the Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in Riverside, California, USA. Thanks for tuning in to A New Beginning today. We're not done. He's going to continue now with his message from Philippians chapter 1. It's from the series called Quarantine Life. And here now are the words of the Apostle Paul in answer to the question, what do you live for? What do you live for? Here's what Paul writes, Philippians 1, verse 21. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I live on in the flesh, that will mean fruit from my labor. For what I'll choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better, 
Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. Being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. Point number one, if you're taking notes, when you live for Christ, you'll think of others. When you live for Christ, you'll think of others. Paul said, for me to live is Christ. Now when we hear someone say, for me to live is Christ, we might think, oh man, you have your head in the clouds and you're out of touch with reality. In fact, you're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. By the way, that is one of the stupidest sayings of all time. I know people who are so earthly minded, they're no heavenly good. But what does it really mean to be heavenly minded? Does it mean that we're out of touch and we don't care about other people? I think it's the very opposite. Again, to quote C.S. Lewis, who said, the Christians who did the most for the present world were precisely those who thought most about the next. I think if you study your history, you will discover that Christians have always been the ones who have led the way in every area of life or opening the great hospitals and the universities because of their faith in Jesus Christ. With COVID-19 hitting and, and all the problems that it's brought, you see an organization like Samaritan's Purse run by my friend Franklin Graham setting up a field hospital in Central Park. They also set up one in Italy that was hit very hard by the coronavirus. At our church, Harvest, uh, we are distributing food to people on our Riverside and Orange County campus. Plus we also have a COVID-19 test center that we allowed the city to set up on our parking lot and our Riverside campus. So we're trying to help people when we can. It's a practical spirituality. You know, I've been a lot of really impressive people over the years, very godly people. And I have to tell you that the most godly people I ever met were Billy and Ruth Graham. Now they were impressive publicly. I can't think of a greater preacher in American history than Billy Graham. In fact, I'm writing a book about him right now. You know that I've written uh, some biographies, one in Steve McQueen called Steve McQueen, The Salvation of an American Icon. I wrote another book on Johnny Cash called Johnny Cash, uh, The Redemption of an American Icon. Now I'm writing one in Billy Graham called Billy Graham, The Making of an American Icon. And Billy's sort of the glue in the stories of Steve and Johnny uh, because Billy was a close friend of Johnny Cash and Johnny sang at many of Billy's crusades and Billy also went and ministered to Steve McQueen right before Steve uh, got his surgery and Billy played a key role in his life as well. But, but being with them privately was so amazing because they were so down to earth. They were Southern, of course, with Southern hospitality, Love to talk to you, hear about you. Ruth Graham was quick to laugh and enjoy life. And they were just real people. And I think when you're really a godly person, you'll be an accessible person, not a self-righteous person. You know, there are people that have that spacey, wild-eyed, one clown short of a circus look, you know, and they try to make everything so spiritual. And they won't laugh at anything or enjoy anything. Don't be that person. A godly person, one who is living for Christ, is a caring, loving person with practical spirituality. Now listen to what Paul says. To live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul was, well, we might describe him as homesick for heaven. But wait, he had never been to heaven. Actually, he had. You see, we read about Paul 
uh, being stoned, not that kind of stoned, uh, for preaching the gospel. They thought he was dead. They prayed for him to come back to life. And he came back again. And Paul writes about it in the book of Corinthians when he says, I knew a man in Christ, whether he was in the body or out of the body, I can't remember. But he was caught up into the spirit and saw things he can't really describe. So basically what happened was Paul died, went to heaven, and came back to earth. So now Paul writes and he says, look, I'm kind of torn between the two. Because I want to go to heaven and be with Christ. But I think it's important for me to be here with you. Bringing me to point number two. When you live for Christ, you're not afraid to die. When you live for Christ, you're not afraid to die. Look at Philippians 1.23. I have a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. You know, there's three words that describe what this means that really help us to understand it. One word that is used when he says, I want to depart is a word that is used by soldiers when they strike the tent or break camp. So they're moving on. So when a believer dies, it's like we're striking the tent. The Bible on more than one occasion compares our body to a tent. Tents are not a permanent residence. Uh, Now you can do whatever you want with your tent. You can paint it. You can stretch it. You can do whatever you want. Patch it. But it's only meant to be a temporary residence. And our body is like a tent. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, When this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is when we die, and leave these bodies, we have a home in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God Himself, not made by human hands. So I want to depart, break camp. Another way to illustrate depart is to be freed from your chains or unshackle. Paul was locked up, chained up, if you will, to a Roman guard. So death for a believer is like being freed from the chains. I'm talking to somebody right now that is very ill. You're immobilized. You you can't do what you used to do. And one day you're going to be freed from the pain of the body you're in. And you're going to be liberated. And that's how Paul is describing it. I want to be freed from these shackles and go and be with the Lord. And finally, he uses a word that could be described as untying a boat from its moorings. Another way to put it is set sail. Set sail. So when you believe in Jesus and that day comes for you to go to heaven, you're setting sail for a better destination. Heaven is so much better than earth. Greg Laurie with some good insight from the writings of Paul in Philippians chapter 1. And you might like to read that for yourself over the weekend because there's much more to come from this message when we continue on Monday. It's called What Do You Live For? And on Monday, Pastor Greg shares on how we can learn to follow Paul's example. To live is Christ, to die is gain. Join us same time on Monday on A New Beginning. For a copy of Pastor Greg's full message from today, get in touch with Vision Christian Store. It was called, What Do You Live For? Just go to visionstore.org.au or call 1-800-00-5011. 
Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.